Cape Talk, New Beginnings. Uh, Stan Hankman, as I said, is joining me in studio, appointed the Executive Director of the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation. Stan, a very good afternoon and uh, congratulations. Good afternoon, Melody. Thank you so much. Is it something that you are scared of or is it something that you are taking on with both hands? Uh, to be quite honest with you, I am taking it on with both hands. Um, you know, I'd be lying to you if I say, um, you know, I'm not nervous because it's new territory. But I relish the, the challenge to to take uh, this wonderful organization to another level. Let's remind listeners about what the organization is meant to do, the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation. So the Institute uh, for Justice and Reconciliation um, was born out of the truth and reconciliation process. In fact, some of the people who were very involved in the, in the TRC felt that the TRC just opened some important things and the work of bringing people together um, needed to continue. Mm. So that started um, 16 years ago in the year 2000. And so the, uh, the, the vision of the Institute is to build fair, democratic and inclusive societies, not just in South Africa, but in other African countries um, who are grappling with transitional justice issues. And there are a fair number of them across the, uh, the continent. Without a doubt. And how do you go about, I suppose, realizing your vision? So we, we have a number of programs uh, through which we work. Um, the, the one that, that uh, a lot of people are familiar with is our policy and analysis uh, program. And uh, we bring out two important publications every year. The one is called the South African Reconciliation Barometer. Correct. It gives us a very, very uh, good view of, uh, of how South Africans feel about where we are in terms of our transition, um, whether we're doing well on a number of issues. Uh, important questions get asked about how, how we rate our leaders and, and our public institutions, but also about social interaction between people. Um, and, and uh, you know, uh, so every year in December that comes out. And it's always, always um, taken on very seriously by, by many people, including, I must, I must say, government departments um, who see this as a, as a good barometer also to check how so are, we, are we doing in terms of social cohesion. And on that barometer, and we'll talk about the second publication in a moment, but on that barometer, are we seeing a trend where South Africans are... Are getting on better, I suppose. Uh, this has been a particularly testing year for South Africans as far as race relations are yeah. concerned. I mean, it started with Penny Sparrow, for example, and that unfortunate um, social media uh, posting that she did. And and since then, almost every month, we've been reporting of yet another incident, including a high court judge. Yeah. It would be very interesting to see, you know, uh, the results at the end of this year. But but even even in last year and the years before, there's a very interesting trend that where we are forced to 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 integrate in work, in jobs, in at schools, uh, institutions, you know, there's no problem there with people interacting. But the minute we leave that space, you know, and we go into our social spheres, we still largely um, socialize within our groups, our in-groups. And, and, you know, you can't legislate that because mm. that's people's choices. Um, and, and, and my take on this is that, you know, if we just realize that what we're doing in those small groups often can be very damaging. And so these, these comments from people which come out as throwaway comments are actually 
my my opinion is are reflective of the kind of things get that get discussed in these in groups you know I, I was fortunate enough to be at the National Arts Festival for the last five days of the 11 days of uh, of that festival. And one of the shows I went to go see is a production by young artists called Thanks Azania. And it, it's, it's, it's an hour-long uh, skit-based, I suppose, show uh, that is cleverly written and deals with some of the more contemporary issues in South Africa, the concept of blessers, for example, issues of corruption, uh, responsibility to vote. And, and race comes up, and they do, they do a wonderful skit called The Amazing Racist um, and introduce you to, to these extreme characters uh, who are obviously pronounced, if you like, in terms of their, of their racism. And, and, and then at the end of it, pose certain key uh, questions because I may sit here and think that I'm not a racist. One, I'm black, so therefore I can't be a racist. Uh, two, because I have friends, you know, who, who cross the color and gender uh, demographic, so therefore I'm, you know, I'm f- I'm fine. But it is in the moment of having a braai with a friend, um, and what I'm saying at that moment actually where the measurement comes in, and Absolutely. and and in the skit of the amazing racist, that's what you're reminded of that that we are all. Inher- not inherently, but we are all almost conditioned to be racist sometimes. So our intention may not be to harm or to be malicious or to be racist for that matter, but what comes out of our mouth and the impact thereof actually often is, and, and we need to be always conscious of that. I fully agree with you. I think, and I think that's, that's often where we don't even realize how much damage we do to other people, um, just in terms of what they're thinking. You know, if, we, if you're thinking, you know, a young person who's supposed to be a born free, you know, uttering these these things, you know, where does it come from, mm. you know, and 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 unfortunately, you know, we 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 zone in on these individuals, but I'm just wondering whether that's not a symptom of a bigger problem, and most of us are just sophisticated enough, you know, to know when to say what, um, but but by and large, I think that um, we still have a long way to go as South Africans, and I include. All South Africans, mm. you know, um, classified colored. You know, if you think about it, you know, most of my socializations over weekends are with colored people, mm. you know. And, and it can't be good in terms of building a society where you want to see everybody as equals because it is in these little conversations that all this vitriol and, you know, hate speech often, you know, gets... Um, Shared, yeah. Um, I like the fact that you said that this is something that you can't legislate. So it has to become a conscious decision that you make as an individual and hopefully as a society that you will exclude it from, from your sphere. So that is, that's the one publication. The other publication? Other publication is called the Transformation Audit. And that publication is, is really based on um, articles uh, by, by eminent uh, South Africans on a, on a range of topics, and, and it's essentially asking the questions, how are we doing in terms of transforming our society? Mm. Education is a, is a key uh, um, topic. Um, you know, the workspace is another one. And, and you know, it, it again, you know, highlights the, you know, the thing that we all know, that South Africa is still very, very an equal society when it comes to workspace, you know, when education, 
you know, in spite of all the money that gets thrown at education, it is a very, very unequal space. If you're black, uh, now use the word black generically, uh, and you, you, you grow up on the Cape Flats in the township, you know, your chances are really, really diminished just because of where you live. And, and the womb that you come from. Mm. And that shouldn't be in a, in, a, in a society that wants to be equal, that wants to be a, you know, a country that, that, that sells itself as, as a country that strives for unity in diversity. So the diversity then becomes a stumbling block rather than a stepping stone. Yeah. Which is, a, which is very unfortunate. And it is a rea- reality, unfortunately, for, for the majority of people uh, because the those who can afford private schooling or those who can afford what's deemed former Model C schools are a small percentage of, of the population of the city of Cape Town, for example. And I imagine the same can be said about the rest of South Africa as well. Absolutely. Which means that the majority of South Africans will forever be um, given an education that is below whatever we deem as good quality education in a country that is spending the majority of its budget every year in education, that is totally unacceptable. And in the workplace? In the workplace, um, you know, that, that's um, obviously, uh, you know, you have uh, in a number of spaces, and it's particularly in the private sector still, that, that most of your senior management um, uh, are largely white, and junior staff are more largely black, and and so, you know, the dynamic there is is one of you know let's coexist in the space, but we know we we know we don't have to do it outside of the space, and 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 it's problematic because again it creates this hierarchies you know and it's not look let 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 me say, it's not as bad as it was in my grandfather's time. Mm. My grand I mean. I remember my grandfather, you know, coming home and asserting his authority, you know, because during the I realized later on that during the day he was treated like a child. Yeah. You know? It's not as bad as that. We have to concede. But but we still have a long way to go. Um, and, you know, this this workspace uh, socialization is is increasingly not only just a matter of black and white. It's, I think, you know, a lot of us, when we get into positions, senior positions, there's something that we think must go with that position, mm. throwing my weight around. Um, and so it, 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 it still is a problem in the workspace. All right. So that is the um, Institute of Justice and uh, Reconciliation. And we'll talk in a moment or two about your, your, your journey to becoming the executive director. The last time I spoke to you, we were talking about the uh, World Transplant Games because, because, because you, you're chairing, are you, the, the South African chapter right. of it? Yeah. T- tell us about that and how you got to be involved with the World Transplant Games. Okay. Um, in 2007, I was fortunate to receive a heart. Um, and... Um, you know, part of, of having undergone such a life-changing experience is that it gives you a new perspective on mm. things. Um, and the one thing that I um, want to, to keep going for me is the sense of gratitude that I've been given another opportunity, a second chance. And part of showing that gratitude is to be the best South African that I can be, be the best person that I can be. But also... Um, you know, to show that there's a full life, I can live a full life after transplantation. 
And so the fact that I've now assumed this position should be an indication that, yeah. I, you know, I, I can hold my own. But also I became involved in sports because I needed to bring balance into my life and decided to join the South African Transplant Sports Association. And um, after one attempt, I got selected for the national team in 2009 and I've subsequently been to four World Transplant Games. And, um, um, and so, so I'm not just an athlete, but I'm also an administrator now because I'm the national chairperson of the South African Transplant Sports Association. Certainly congratulations on that. But it does highlight, though, the importance of the conversation that many South Africans are not really having, which is what happens should your life come to an end and you still have very good and viable organs. Yeah, it's, it's such an important thing. And, it's, and I know it's difficult for people to wrap their minds around that, you know. Even for those of us, you know, who here for the first time that we need to have a transplant. I mean, it's very difficult to, 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 to grasp that concept. But I always say to people, you know, you know if, you, if you die and you get buried or cremated, those organs are going to go. Mm. You know, um, they're either going to rot in the ground or it's going to be burnt. And, um, and if somebody can, can have a life because of your generosity, you know, there's a part of you that continues, you know, um, <coughs> pardon, I'm very conscious of the fact that there's something about that young man in me, you know, um, you know, if, if your muscles have memory, certainly your heart must have memory too. That's true. You know, and so I, I think that that if one sees it in that way, that that you, you giving somebody else. In fact, you can give many people another chance to to live a full life, and in that way continue your legacy. Wonderful. Uh, do have that conversation with your family if you haven't done so already. It's an important one uh, to have without a doubt. Uh, my guest is uh, Stan Hankerman. He's been appointed the Executive Director of the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation. And uh, you're the former head of department in, uh, for the building of an inclusive society program at the IGR. So at least you're going, you know, you you are within the organization correct, yes. uh, that you know and have worked for for a while. How has your past work as a teacher and a lecturer, I think, uh, or do you think, prepared you for this role? So I went to university and decided to become a teacher and, you know, thought this was gonna, what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And after eight years teaching in Mitchell's Plain, um, I, I was seconded to a, a Balboa College of Education where I lectured, um, you know, um, and it was a wonderful time at the college. I mean, and that more than anything else prepared me for bigger things. I, and I want to say this to all leaders out there, you know, I worked under leaders who really gave me space to grow. Mm. And, and I, you know, I trace where I am right back to those times. You know, there are many other things, but that, those eight years at the college were really pivotal. I had a great leader, um, Dr. Terence Fredericks, if you're listening, thank you, sir, um, <laughs> who really saw potential in me and, and encouraged me to be innovative, to do new things. And, um, and so that gave me so much confidence. I then fell in love, I always put it this way, with conflict resolution. And decided um, on a hike, on the third, the third afternoon of a five-day hike, that that's it for teaching. 
I'm going to go into conflict resolution. And that I've been in the field of peace building and conflict resolution since 1996. And as the executive director of the IJR, are you going to give people space to be creative, innovative, and to really grow and become uh, whatever full potential they're able to be? Absolutely. I have a responsibility to do that. I am what I am because I've been given opportunities. Mm. My job is to create opportunities for others. And it's it's an important thing. I will not lose anything. In fact, I will gain. The organization will gain. And and if I have an abundance mentality, abundance will come to the institute. Without a doubt. Now, the institute has a defined mission and vision. But what is your personal vision for the institute under your leadership? I think, you know, the idea is, is not to be too elaborate, to keep it simple. To, to keep it attainable. But the first thing that, and, and I've shared this with, with um, uh, in my interviews and also in my presentations, number one, um, you know, people matter. People are important. And, and so, you know, we are what we are because of our staff. And so they need to know that they are appreciated and they are looked after. As an NGO, you can imagine we won't always have the money to give to them, but they must know that, that they are valued and, 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 and their welfare comes first. I think the second thing as an NGO is to make sure that we become less dependent on foreign funding. Because mm. um, in a way, you know, you, you can only do what, you know, what you have in terms of what you have. And, and, and increasingly foreign uh, donor funding is, is drying up and, and because there are other priorities in the world. You, know, you, you, you have to understand that according to those donors, South Africa is a middle-income country. Yeah. You know? uh, even though we have these stark inequalities, but it is a middle-income country. So less dependent on, on donors. And, and then I think the, the, the third thing for me is that the institute should be, really be a reflection of South Africa. In terms of its makeup, staff makeup, in terms of what it does, in terms of the, the issues it takes up. It must really be a, not just a resource, but people must look to the institute and say, that is the institute that advances my cause, you know, the cause that matters. And it's not the cause of the rich only. It's the cause of the poorest of the poor. It's the cause of those who cannot fight for themselves. They need justice. Something tells me it's in good hands. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon and uh, congratulations once again. Thank you, Africa.